Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Xander's Facts. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander, and no, this is not a new episode of the Xander's Facts podcast. It is a Xander's Facts flashback this week. That's what we're doing on Wednesday, March 22nd. And even though it's not a new episode of the podcast, you might have heard it before, you should stay tuned because there's still a lot of facts on this week's edition of the podcast, this Xander's Facts flashback. So sit back, relax, whatever you're doing, continue, I don't care, and listen to some replayed facts. From last year, we are going back to December, and I'll get more into it in just a little bit. But before I do, I just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's flashback, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, the Xander's Facts flashback, rate and review the podcast then go on all your socials twitter facebook instagram tiktok i'm on all those at zader's facts that is zader with a z and most importantly remember to tell all your friends we like to call it spread the facts zader's facts podcast tell all your friends about the podcast about the newsletter zader's weekend facts it's got the week's top headlines every sunday morning a little recap for you in newsletter form it is free sign up in the episode description below check out the zaders facts link tree it's got all the zaders facts links that you need including for zadersfacts.com which has the zaders facts shop go check that out check out all the facts that we've got on zaders facts because there's a lot if you didn't know beyond the zaders facts podcast this week on the podcast though it is a flashback we are going back to episode 88 from last year 2022 wow december 28th of last year our final podcast of 2022 which was entitled why do we have an electoral college so yes this week we are going back to the segment where i took a deep dive into the history behind the electoral college why it's so controversial and what could potentially be done to change it in the future quite timely if I do say so myself. Not because we have a presidential election coming up, even though that's in a year and a little over a year and a half, 2024, but because someone who only won the presidency because of the Electoral College, who? Donnie Boy, you all know him, is in the news recently because apparently the New York DA, I don't know, he's going to get indicted. Maybe. Maybe he might. We'll see because of hush money that he paid to Stormy Daniels, which of all the things he's been accused of, all the investigations that are going on, this is the thing that's going to get him first, is pretty hilarious. But Dottie Boy had to respond himself on his little truth social thing. He told everybody in all caps, this was an all caps message, I'm not going to read it to you, but he did tell everybody to protest. He also said he would be arrested on Tuesday. Well, I'm recording this Tuesday night, and nothing's happened, so I'm very sad that he all lied to us. Disrespectful! But obviously, if something of that nature does happen, and I'll believe it when I see it, we'll talk about it probably in a future episode of this week's Xander's Facts podcast. But we're going to go back to episode 88, where we also talked about a little message that Donnie Boy sent on his I don't know what it was. It was this truth social. It was a press release. It was whatever. 
that he sent out. But I started the podcast with that, and then I went into the history of the Electoral College back episode 88. I hope you all enjoy our little Xander's Facts flashback. Let's get going. Back from episode 88, back from December 2022, when we talked about the Electoral College. Let's get to it. It is time for this week's Xander's Facts flashback. Xander's Facts. And speaking of the holidays, I totally forgot to wish all of you listeners of the facts whoops, a happy holidays and Merry Christmas, because Christmas was on Sunday, if you are celebrating Merry Christmas. And by the way, I just thought that I would share a very gracious Christmas greeting to you all, because, you know, it's just the jolly thing to do, you know, at this time of the year. This actually, I did not write this, I have to admit. I did not write this Christmas greeting. However, I found it to be just a tremendous Christmas greeting, if you will. I will read it to you here because I just found it truly amazing. Merry Christmas to everyone that is you, including the radical left Marxists that are trying to destroy our country, the Federal Bureau of Investigation that is illegally coercing and paying social and lamestream media to push for a mentally disabled Democrat over the brilliant, clairvoyant, and USA-loving Donald J. Trump. And of course, the Department of Injustice, which appointed a special prosecutor who, together with his wife and family, hates Trump, Trump in quotes, more than any other person on earth. Love to all. Huh. Amazingly, that was all in two sentences, if you didn't know. Also, by the way, if you didn't get the gist, I did not write that. That was from the truth social account of one former president, Donnie Boy. Amazingly, it was in two sentences. The first sentence was everything I wrote except for the words love to all. So all the rest of it was in one sentence. A lot of commas in there. But let me just point out a couple things in this. Because he first off referred to himself as, in the third person, as brilliant, clairvoyant, and in all caps, USA loving. He also included his middle initial, which he loves to do. He called the Department of Justice the Department of Injustice. He put special prosecutor, he put the word prosecutor in quotes for some reason, who, together with his wife and family, hates Trump. He put Trump in quotes there for some reason. He called Joe Biden, presumably, a mentally disabled Democrat. And Merry Christmas to everyone. He's wishing us a Merry Christmas, including the radical left Marxists. So, I mean, that's just, wow. Merry Christmas to you, Donnie boy. And to all of you out there, even if you are a radical left Marxist, and even if you are one of the people who supports a Texas governor, talk about this for a second, before we get to the Electoral College, I have something to say. On Christmas Eve, the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, busing about 50 migrants to the front of the residence of the vice president, who was Kamala Harris, on Christmas Eve, with no coats, shelter, food, what have you, just busing them there and leaving them there, which they've done before. But this is Christmas Eve. And the next day, you know, oh, we're great Christians. Ho, ho, ho. Now, 
you're not a great Christian if you do that or if you support it. You're literally going against like everything Jesus was trying to teach you, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is owning the libs. And if you don't know that, I mean, seriously, come on. I don't think so. But you know, Merry Christmas, even to the radical left Marxists. But that was just my little spiel to begin the podcast. That's not even our big topic for this week that we are going to get into because we are heading back to the world of politics on the podcast. It has been a long time since we have extensively talked about the news, political topics on this podcast because of the World Cup, of course, but that's over. So now we can get back to what Xander's Facts does best, which are deep dives. And this week, we are doing an entire deep dive on a pretty big and controversial American institution. And y'all might know, but we're basically basing this podcast off of one big question. Why does the United States have an electoral college? It's a big question, and thankfully, I've got an answer for you. Because every four years, the big debate gets brought up over the old American institution of the electoral college. Why in the world do we choose our president through an electoral college process instead of by popular vote? Because for literally every other elected office, we use the popular vote instead of an electoral college? It's a good question, and I got a good answer. Hopefully, that contains a lot of facts. Gash facts. So we are doing a deep dive this week into the Electoral College, a podcast that I have wanted to do for a while, not just because I want to inform, but because I also wanted to learn why in the world we do an Electoral College. So we're going to talk about what exactly the Electoral College is, because you might not know what it is. You're like, Xander, what in the world are you talking about the Electoral College? Don't worry, I'm going to explain it to y'all. I'm going to explain the history behind it and whether or not it could change in the future. We're going to get to all of those talking about the Electoral College on the Zaders Facts podcast. So let's get going, but let's start with what exactly it is. Because if you don't know, or you just need a refresher, I'm going to explain to y'all what exactly the Electoral College is, especially if you're listening not in America or you're not familiar with American politics, you're like, what in the world is the Electoral College? Like, is it some sort of college, university, whatever? Actually, no. What? It is not an actual college. It is a process. If you haven't gotten the gist yet, though, the Electoral College is what the United States uses to appoint the positions of president and vice president. These are the only elected positions in the United States that use the Electoral College. All others, like senators, governors, state legislatures, city councilors, what have you, use the popular vote method. The method for which the Electoral College operates, though, is defined in the Constitution in Article 2, Section 1, Clauses 2, 3, and 4. So basically how it goes is that all 50 states in the United States and the District of Columbia are each given these things called electors. The number of electors that a state gets is determined by the number of congressional representatives it has, meaning that the number of representatives that it has in the House of Representatives plus the number of senators that it has in the Senate equals the number of electors a state gets. So for example, Virginia. Virginia has 11 House representatives. They also have two senators. So they have 13 electoral college fits or electors. Each state and D.C. has at least three because each state has at least one House representative and all states have two senators. So the number of electoral votes total 
adds up to 538. So now, if you didn't know why the website 538 or 538 is titled that, now you know. Good to know. In order to win a presidential election, though, the magic number you need is 270 electoral votes. And it's been that way since 1964. Now, in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the Constitution, it states that Washington, D.C., which is the seat of the federal government, it's not a state, at least as of now, Washington, D.C. is entitled to the same number of electors as the least populous state. And since there are only 535 members of Congress, there's 100 in the Senate, 435 in the House, the three electors from D.C. gets the Electoral College's total up to 538. So, every four years on Election Day, which is the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November, we go to the polls to elect a president. But unlike when we cast our ballots for a senator or city councilor, we're actually not casting our vote for the president or the vice president. I don't know if you knew that. But we're actually casting our vote for a slate of electors that will vote for the candidate that we chose. What are you talking about? So let's say that in the 2020 presidential election, the first election that yours truly, Xander, actually got to vote in. Let's say that in that election, I checked the box on my ballot next to Joe Biden's name. Because I actually did. That's not technically a vote for Joe Biden, actually. It's a vote for a slate of 13 electors, because where I vote in Virginia, there's 13 electors, that will cast their votes for Joe Biden later on. So, that's kind of complicated. So let me explain. Every four years, after Election Day, the electors of each state, all 538 of them, will meet in their state capitals across the country on the first Monday after the second Wednesday of December. This is outlined in the Constitution. These electors cast their votes, hopefully for the candidate that won the popular vote in their state, even though, by federal law, they're not actually legally mandated to, although there are a majority of states that do have laws that make sure that they do that. The results are then sent to Congress, and they are counted during a joint congressional meeting of the Senate and the House on a date in the first week of January. So, if you didn't know what was going on in Congress on January 6th, 2021, yeah, they were doing this process. They were counting these votes. Now, in the event that no candidate actually receives 270 votes, the Constitution has also laid out what Congress should do. This could actually happen if there are unfaithful electors, electors that don't vote for the candidate that won their state, or if the election results end in a 269 to 269 tie, which is actually possible, by the way. It's never happened, but it is actually possible. If this happens, a contingent election takes place. In this event, the House would then hold a presidential election session, but it wouldn't be each House member voting. Instead, each state only has one vote. So, for instance, all of California's House members, California's House delegation, would come together to individually vote, and then the presidential candidate that wins a majority out of those members from California then wins the one vote for California's delegation. So there are 50 total votes for president in the House. And then the Senate would vote for vice president. Each senator would get one vote. Dang! Either way it happens, the 20th Amendment of the Constitution mandates that either the president or the vice president be inaugurated 
on January 20th or January 21st if January 20th falls on a Sunday, which it last did in 2013 for Barack Obama's second inauguration and will again happen in 2041. Now, before the 20th Amendment was adopted in 1933, presidents were actually inaugurated later in the year on March 4th, which was the same day as the new Congress was inaugurated. But now, of course, presidents are inaugurated on January 20th. Congress is inaugurated on January 3rd, which is two weeks before the president. Previously, if we had to do a contingent election in Congress, it would have been the old Congress doing it. Now, it's the newly elected Congress who gets to do it and certify the election, like they were doing on January 6th, 2021. So that's basically what the Electoral College is. But why do we have an Electoral College in the first place? Good question. What's the history behind it? Because it's a little confusing when you actually get down into the details. The big question is, though, why do we use this method for electing a president and vice president in the United States? Well, to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to the founding days of the United States after we declared independence from the tyranny of King George and Great Britain. America! Specifically, the Constitutional Convention that took place back in the year of 1787. The result of the Constitutional Convention, if you didn't know, was the creation of the Constitution of the United States, which actually replaced the Articles of Confederation, which were supposed to be the founding or the big document governing our country, didn't turn out to be that great. So we created the Constitution. The first proposal at the convention, though, was the Virginia Plan. This plan proposed that Congress be the ones that actually elect the president. But this was, of course, rejected because that never happened. Later, though, founding father and later a Supreme Court justice, James Wilson, actually proposed that electors choose the president. The convention also came up with the decision that the number of electors for each state would equal the number of representatives in Congress that that state has. The delegates, who we basically know as the founding fathers of the United States, noted that an electoral college would make sure that only a qualified individual could become president. Of course, well, 2016, but okay. Man, that was rough. It was noted that the founders didn't trust the American people to make the right choice and using an electoral college where the electors only met once every four years would not be susceptible to manipulation from foreign governments. Which, okay, so they didn't trust us. But what this actually meant was that electors were not bound in any way to vote for the candidate that their state chose, as I mentioned earlier. In fact, it was actually intended by the Founding Fathers that the electors were allowed to decide who was best suited to be president, not us. We just voted on the electors. The electors were able to decide who was best suited to be president. Uh, okay. Disrespectful! Now, during the convention, the delegates were split on whether to use this electoral college process or use the popular vote. Two delegates specifically, including James Wilson, who actually proposed the electoral college, and James Madison, noted that they actually preferred the popular vote method. Madison noted during the convention, though, that it would be hard to convince the other delegates to use a popular vote. He used this reasoning. He said, quote, There was one difficulty, however, of a serious nature attending an immediate choice by the people. 
the right of suffrage was much more diffusive in the northern than the southern states, and the latter could have no influence in the election on the score of Negroes. The substitution of electors obviated this difficulty and seemed, on the whole, to be liable to the fewest objections, unquote. So obviously at the time, and this was actually made during the Constitutional Convention, we had the three-fifths clause, where basically slaves were only counted as three-fifths of a person, or I guess you could interpret this in another way, that three-fifths of slaves were only counted, which was a compromise between the delegates at this convention to determine the number of seats the state would get in the House, the number of electoral votes the state gets, and how much money each state would pay in taxes. Three-fifths of each state's slave population counted towards the state's total population, even though slaves, black people, weren't able to vote until after the Civil War in the United States. So, according to James Madison, we use the Electoral College still today, and it was created back in the day because it was part of a compromise between the northern and the southern states or those who supported and didn't support slavery at the time. Because of the three-fifths compromise, southern states gained more electoral power because of black people who were slaves at the time who couldn't even participate in the political process. And this is the reason why the southern states won in an electoral college and not a popular vote process, because black people did not have the right to vote, but were still counted partially in the census. So southern states gained more power with the electoral college. If we used a direct popular vote process, less electoral representation would have been given to the slave-owning states. So, yeah, there's that. Yikes! And also, you know what I'm talking about if you've ever taken a high school government class. You know about the Federalist Papers. In Federalist number 68, Alexander Hamilton argues that because an elector cannot be a federal office holder, the electors will not be beholden to any presidential candidate. That's a reason in support of the Electoral College. And then after the convention, James Madison writes in Federalist number 39 that the Constitution was designed to be a mixture of state-based and population-based government. And this is basically what we see in Congress. The Senate is state-based, two seats for each state, and the House is population-based. But Madison argues that the president is a mixture of the state-based and the population-based methods. Actually, when the Constitution was first adopted, Madison and others argued that electors were meant to be brought on on a district basis instead of a statewide basis. So this meant that an elector would actually represent their congressional district instead of the state. Most states back in the day used this method, but it has gradually been phased out in favor of the winner-take-all state method that almost all the states use now. This is what we know today, where the candidate who wins the majority vote in a state wins all the electoral votes in that state. Now, there are two states that do not fully use this method, and those two states are Maine and Nebraska. These two states actually use a mixture because both of them have two at-large electors that support the winner of the state's popular vote, and they also have electors for each congressional district. And also, if you didn't know, here comes a fact! But back in the day when the country was first founded, some state legislatures actually selected their electors when the Electoral College was first established, so we weren't even doing any voting. But that has, you know, been phased out, and it was phased out 
a while ago. But here's an interesting fact for you. If we, the United States, still used that congressional district electoral college method in 2020, where we did winner-take-all by congressional district instead of by state, then the results would have been that Biden still would have won, but he would have only gotten 277 electoral votes, and Trump would have gotten 261. Cool facts, bro! Now, when the Electoral College first came into place, presidential and vice presidential candidates were actually separate from each other on the ballot. And it wasn't until the passage of the 12th Amendment in 1804 that president and vice president appeared together on the ballot, because the presidential election in 1800 was very messy. In fact, the Constitution doesn't even mention the term electoral college. It just mentions electors. It wasn't until the 19th century when electoral college became commonplace term in American society. So from the founding days of the U.S. up until today, not really much has changed with the electoral college. The biggest difference really is Maybe how we choose the electors. It's not on a district basis. It's not from our state legislatures. It's by using the winner-take-all state method. Of course, the electoral votes that each state gets change every 10 years with the census. We've had new states that have been added to the union, so that 538 number has definitely changed. 538 is the highest it's ever been. And in the first presidential election in 1788, there were only 81 electoral votes and only 69 nice voting electors, and George Washington won all of them in that election. But that number changed in every subsequent election until 1912, when it was at 531. And of course, in 1964, we got to 538. But the people who can vote has also obviously changed. Black people, females, minorities. It's not just white male landowners who can vote like it was when the Constitution was first adopted. We've had a couple amendments to deal with that. But, yeah, that's basically why or how we have the Electoral College and how it's still in place today. But the thing is, there's a reason we talk about it all the time, and it's not just because it elects the president and the vice president every four years. It's because it's pretty controversial. I mean, you may have just heard me, but... I did mention that its origins are probably, not probably, they are racist. If black people were given the right to vote at the Constitutional Convention, and with the northern and southern states, they had about equal population at the time. So, do you think that southern states would have pushed for electoral college? Probably not. So, there's the racist origins, which, I mean, you could probably say about a lot of things in our country. It's not critical race theory. It's just facts. I mean, you probably didn't know, you might not have known, that the Electoral College is literally racist, or it was intended to be. You just learned a new fact. Xander's facts! But adding on to that, you've also got the fact that in four presidential elections in U.S. history, the winner of the Electoral College did not get the most total votes. This happened in 1876-1888, and more recently, you might remember these ones, 2000. And of course, 2016. That's a bit of an issue. But the common argument in defense of the Electoral College is that it gives states power and is a compromise for states' rights. But here's the issue with that. Why should a candidate that gets fewer votes than their opponent win an election? Like, because they won more states? 
Wyoming is a state, I think. It has a population as of 2021 of 578,803 people. California's population last year was 39.24 million. That equates to 54 electoral college votes. That's about 722,222 votes per electoral vote. In Wyoming, they have three electoral votes. So the number of votes per electoral vote is 192,934. So a vote in Wyoming has 3.7 times the voting power than a vote in California. So in this case, not everyone's vote is equal. And it actually hasn't always been this way. There's a big reason that this is the case, which I'll explain later. But also, think about this. Take a look at New York State, for instance, because everybody knows what New York City looks like. It's got New York City down in the south, and then there's basically everything else. There's some cities, you know, Albany, Buffalo, Syracuse, all them. There's people who live there, but, you know, New York City is where the population is. So if they did district-based voting for their governor, let's say, and a governor candidate doesn't win the majority of the vote, but wins enough of the electoral votes in the districts because it's district-based and there's a certain amount of delegates in those districts, would that make sense? No, it wouldn't. And there's a reason that no state does that. They do it by total votes. But what this also does, the Electoral College, is it dampens turnout and engagement in states where their vote doesn't mean as much in other states, or in states where the winner is almost certainly known beforehand. And this is bad for down-ballot races, because if I live in, let's say, Mississippi, if I'm going to vote for a Democrat, why would I? Because I know the Republican's going to win. So... In that case, because the president is the big, shiny election every four years, I'm most likely thinking about that. So then, I don't go to the polls, and I don't elect people for Senate, for House, for City Council, for whatever. So then the down-ballot races get neglected. This also leads, though, to a big focus on swing states for presidential campaigns. So, like, why would a presidential candidate care about going to or spending money in states like New York, or Arkansas, or Alabama, or Illinois, because they already know that they're either going to win or they're going to lose that state. Basically, when they get into the race, they know, we're not going to win Arkansas, or we're not going to win New York. Instead, what you have in recent elections is a big focus on just a few states, like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Georgia, and a few others. And this doesn't really change on a four-year cycle. It's usually the same states. And something else that the Electoral College does put a damper on is third parties. Because with the winner-take-all system in most states, it's pretty difficult for third-party candidates to even gain votes in the process, unlike in other Western democracies. I mean, you know that if you listen to our podcast on France and Germany, where we're talking about all these different parties, a direct popular vote would probably allow third-party candidates to actually gain more steam. There's a lot of talk about, we hate the two-party system. Well, the Electoral College is a big part of why the two-party system is still in place and not really going to change anytime soon. Of course, there are many in favor of keeping the Electoral College because they believe that it makes candidates focus on states 
with smaller populations. Of course, Arkansas's population isn't that big, Montana's population isn't that big, North Dakota, Wyoming's population isn't that big, and they don't really care about that. Republicans know they're going to win those states. Rhode Island's population isn't that big. Vermont, Democrats know they're going to win those states, so why would they bother? True, true. But that's basically a look back at the history of the Electoral College and why it's so controversial. But now let's go into more modern day. Because we know about the history of the Electoral College, so now I've got the question, will it be changed in some form or fashion anytime soon? Well, actually, before I do answer that question, I just got to tell you that this segment is actually pretty good timing because there is a new bill that just passed Congress that is related to the Electoral College, kind of. It's called the Electoral Count Reform Act, and it actually reforms the Electoral Count Act of 1887, which governs the counting of Electoral College votes in Congress. It is the largest reform to the Electoral College since 1887, and it doesn't really change the Electoral College at all, because what it does is it clearly specifies that the vice president's role in the proceedings of the electoral votes being counted by Congress is purely ceremonial. Obviously, this needed to be done because there was a certain former president who we actually mentioned earlier on this podcast, wrote a, you know, a little Christmas greeting. What are you implying? Who wanted his vice president to overturn the results of the 2020 election because he lost, you know, and he's a sore loser. The vice president, of course, refused. Because the language, though, of that 1887 law is murky on the subject, it wasn't actually known whether the vice president could do such a thing. And of course, the vice president was Mike Pence at the time. Now the answer is clear because of this bill that just passed Congress. He or she cannot, because obviously it's a she now, Kamala Harris. The bill also raises the bar for objecting to a state's slate of electors. You may have remembered this was going on on January 6, 2021 in Congress. Currently, if just one member of the House and one member of the Senate challenge a state's electors, the joint session of Congress, which is what we had on January 6, splits back into the House and back into the Senate to deliberate on the electors. And of course, that happened back in 2021 for baseless reasons. Now, the bill raises the threshold for an objection to 20% of the members of each chamber. But in regards to actually abolishing the Electoral College and moving to a direct popular vote method, the bill doesn't do that. That's all the bill does. And don't keep your hopes up. Because in order for the Electoral College to actually be abolished, it would have to be an amendment to the Constitution to do that. That's the only way it can happen. And in order to pass an amendment to the Constitution, which we've done many times in the history of this country, but probably not for this, you would need to get the approval of two-thirds of Congress and three-fourths of the states. So you need a pretty overwhelming majority of Congress and the states to approve the amendment. And that's probably not going to happen with this. But the closest that the U.S. has actually come to abolishing the Electoral College, because we've tried it many times before, came in 1969, just after the 1968 presidential election, where Richard Nixon obviously won. He got 301 electoral votes, which was 56% of the electoral votes, but he only won 43.5% of the popular vote. Now, that bill 
which would have instituted a plurality system based on the national popular vote, received 339 votes in the House and passed. That was massive in the House. But in the Senate, it only got 53 votes. So it died in the Senate, and then it was dead basically forever. So sad. And that bill actually, something interesting, would have required that a presidential and vice presidential ticket win 40% of the nationwide vote. And that if none did, the top two tickets would advance to a runoff election, like what happens with the Senate elections all the time now in Georgia. Jimmy Carter, when he was president in 1977, also wrote to Congress, which included his support for abolishing the Electoral College. And since the year 1800, there have been over 700 proposals introduced in Congress to reform or eliminate the Electoral College. Of course, None of them have passed Congress, let alone even get to a vote for the states. But more recently, joint resolutions have been introduced in Congress, but to no avail. But there is something interesting you might want to know about called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. Seriously? This is a proposed interstate compact that will award all the electoral votes of the states that sign on to it to the presidential candidate that wins the overall popular vote. So basically, if there's a state that has signed on to this compact and that state votes Donald Trump wins that state, but Joe Biden actually wins the popular vote, then that state would give its electors to Joe Biden. So far, 15 states and D.C. have signed on to the compact. In order for the compact to take effect, it would need 270 total electoral votes. And right now, it only has 195, which is 72% of what it needs. By the way, it's not that far off. And the first state to sign on did so in 2007, but it has been gaining traction in the last few years. Now, the states that have signed on already are in order from first signed on to last, Maryland, New Jersey, Illinois, Hawaii, Washington State, Massachusetts, D.C., of course, Vermont, California, Rhode Island, New York, Connecticut, Colorado, Delaware, New Mexico, and Oregon. That's a lot of facts. So, it needs 75 electoral votes to become legally standing and take effect. So, if it can survive potential legal challenges and they can get to 270 votes... That's probably going to be the biggest change we see to the Electoral College. And in the event that that happens, actually, then the winner of the popular vote would undoubtedly win the Electoral College. And there are definitely people in power post the Electoral College, like Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin, who you may know, actually, from serving on the January 6th committee. He was on Face the Nation on CBS Sunday morning, and he said the Electoral College has become a danger to American democracy. And it really doesn't help that it really helped fuel Donnie Boy's stolen election rants and the tricks he used to try and overturn the election in 2020. Doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon, though. But the thing that I mentioned earlier, that a person's vote in Wyoming means a lot more than a person's vote in California, hasn't always been the case. That's because as the country got bigger, the House of Representatives kept getting bigger. Until, in 1929, when it was at 435 seats, and Congress passed the Permanent Apportionment Act, 
which permanently set the membership of the House at 435 seats. Now, at the time, each member of Congress was representing about 280,000 constituents on average in their districts. But now, that number is over 762,000 people. This is true. You know, when you're taking a look at other developed Western democracies, this number is very large. Like, for instance, in the United Kingdom, a member of parliament represents about 100,000 people. 762,000 people, that number is actually massive when you look at it on a worldwide scale. And we're supposed to be a representative democracy. Now, of course, if we kept expanding the House of Representatives to, you know, what the trend was, it would be, you know, at least over a thousand members by now. It would be massive. But maybe that should be the case because, you know, taking a look at the UK again, their population is about 67 million people and they have 650 members of parliament. So why do we only have 435 House seats? That doesn't make sense to me. The House needs to expand. But the only way that that could happen is actually Congress just passing a new law. It doesn't need the two-thirds. It's not an amendment. It's just a law. It doesn't need the two-thirds of the Congress to approve or the three-fourths of the states to approve. It just needs a majority of the House and, without the filibuster, 60 votes in the Senate, which is, you know, the hard part. But... That just sounds like the better idea, because it expands the House, it expands representation in this country, and it somewhat expands or fixes the Electoral College. So that's what I would think to be a good idea. And if you go online, I mean, there's a bunch of articles that would tend to agree with that idea. So, you know, it just makes sense, but that's my two cents. But basically, that's the history behind this American tradition. It's interesting, but it's also complicated. And when you actually look at it, it's actually pretty disgusting. That's blasphemy! And in my view, it's time to, if not eliminate it, at least reform it, which could be done by expanding the House of Representatives, which we ought to do anyway. And apparently, I am in the majority, because according to a poll from the Pew Research Center in 2020, it found that 58% of Americans prefer a system where the presidential candidate who receives the most votes nationwide wins the election. And when Pew conducted that survey again earlier this year, that number was up to 63%. And it found that 80% of Democrats support the move. And the same can be said about 42% of Republicans. So there you have it. That's basically all you need to know about the Electoral College. It's history. Why it's so controversial and what might be done in the future. There's a couple things we could do to change it in the future, but you know what? We will see. Spitting the truth. Xander's facts. Well, there you have it. If you didn't know, now you do. The history of the Electoral College because of our Xander's Facts flashback. How about that? Well, there you go. That is our Xander's Facts flashback for this week. Our little Xander's Facts episode that we got for you this week on Wednesday, March 22nd. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember that if you liked all the facts that you heard on the Xander's Facts flashback, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, this flashback, rate and review the podcast, then check out all our socials, Twitter, Facebook, 
Instagram, TikTok, like all the videos, all the stuff that's on there. At Zader's Facts, at Zader with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, spread the facts, Zader's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the podcast, about Zader's Weekend Facts, the newsletter, which you should go sign up for in the episode's description below. And the Zader's Facts link tree, it's got all the Zader's Facts links that you need. So there you have it. That is our Xander's Facts flashback this week. Next week, brand new episode, brand new content for a full podcast is coming out. Episode 99, in fact, for our first episode of April. Oh my gosh. How about that? It is springtime, y'all, finally. And that means that the Final Four, I believe we're going to know the teams that are in the Final Four in college basketball next week. So we'll probably talk about that on the podcast. My bracket's done okay so far. There's been a lot of teams that decided not to follow my wisdom and win, sadly for them. However, as of Tuesday night, Wednesday, before the Sweet 16 games kick off on Thursday, three of my four Final Four teams are still in the running, including my two teams in the national championship. So, of course, my national champion, too. So, uh, you know, considering that, I'm doing okay, I think. I think I'm doing a little okay. We'll talk about that, of course, next week, though, on episode 99 of the Xander's Facts podcast. That is coming up next week. But that is it. That is a wrap on this week's Xander's Facts flashback. Thank you all so much for listening. And the Xander's Facts Podcast rolls on with episode 99 next week. Whoa, whoa, whoa.